0: Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Jenny and I continue our conversation on the bad Hegel.
1: Okay, so let's move on to episode 38. Perfect. Okay, and the two points in this episode are the inversion of value in regards to Hegel's logic and the death of God.
0: Right, okay.
1: All right, let's begin here by saying that You said that the problem is not Hegel's dialectical logic, but it's how we've replaced logic with his form of logic.
0: Right. With his form. Right. The idea is that logic itself is not the problem. Logic is good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think God embraces logic and uh, the, the idea of human reasoning is a good thing. Yeah. But that the problem is Hegel replaces logic with his own dialectical logic, and that's the problem.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. And we talked about Aristotelian logic before.
0: Right. And I think it's worthwhile reading. What Hegel himself says about Aristotelian logic in The Philosophy of Right Yeah, is this. I quote it in this episode. Okay. It has indeed been recognized, says Hegel, that the forms and rules of the older logic and here he's talking specifically about Aristotelian logic, yeah. of definition, classification, and inference, which include the rules of the understanding's cognition. And here we have what we call the rules of logic mm-hmm. in Aristotelian terms, like yeah. the, the rule of non-contradiction, the rule of excluded middle, and so forth. Hegel continues, he says that these are inadequate for speculative science. So. Hegel says essentially here, we need a new logic
2: Ooh, to see.
0: replace the old logic. Mm-hmm. And that, I say, is the problem. Okay. Not so much that Hegelian logic is wrong, because right. we don't think it is. Right. But that it cannot be the replacement for Aristotelian logic. Right. It can only be a supplement.
1: Right. Yeah. it's kind So of it's,
0: like... again, that problem of taking the part for the whole.
1: Right. It's kind of like the supplemental material to a main class. Right. hmm Okay, and so that's why it's valuable, yet it shouldn't be the only thing. Right. Okay, so now that we understand Hegel's logic can be used like as a supplement to true logic, then the bad Hegel on this is the inversion of value, right?
0: Right. Well just just picking up on a point well, there. Hold on,
1: this is where you in the in the episode you get really gobbly So <laughs> try to make it easy to understand.
0: Okay. But but Going back to the point on logic, I do yeah. have one more thing I want to oh, say. Oh, okay, go ahead. You mentioned the idea that
1: Aristotelian logic is sort of like the main class in school, like chemistry or algebra, or you know, whatever. And Hegelian logic is like the additional supplemental material that you would use to help teach the class, right? But you wouldn't use it as the sole material for teaching the class.
0: Yeah, right? I, I like this way of looking at. Uh huh. I would say that. Logic would be the primary discipline. Yeah. And Hegelian logic, a sort of sub discipline. Okay. And we might think of it rather than in terms of a chemistry class or something like that. Yeah. Think of it more in terms of a, a pure mathematics okay. and an applied
2: mathematics. I see, I see. So
0: when you do applied mathematics, you kind of have to modify what you're doing and play with things and change it around. And I would say that applied mathematics is very important. Right. But it's it's pure mathematics that provide the basis for right. everything.
1: Right. And that would be Aristotelian.
0: Right. And so I would say that the way of looking at it would be that Aristotelian logic provides the basic foundation and structure for our human thinking. Okay. And that as a sub discipline, we might think about Hegelian logic as useful and applying to the things of the world.
1: Right, right. But that
0: it shouldn't replace it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a, just a tool. Right. Yeah, you know, to help us.
0: A sub-tool.
1: Right, right. Okay. So, so we were saying that this is where you get gobbly
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we wanted to discuss how the bad Hegel is this inversion of value.
0: Right. And this is vital to understand, and once again we are approaching – Another level of the onion here, because we've yeah. been talking about all of this all along. But let me say here, that inversion of value for Hegelian logic is not a feature uh-huh. of Hegel's logic, but a function. It's what it actually does. It inverts. It is the very nature of Hegelian logic to invert things. Right. It begins with turning heaven into earth. okay. Right. And this is that inversion that we talked about before from transcendence to immanence. Mm-hmm. If if everything is logic, if everything is reason, we- then there is nothing beyond reason. Right, which
1: is what the Enlightenment made human reason everything.
0: Right. The Enlightenment turned it into that, and Hegel wanted to hold on to that, where Kant said, No, yeah. that's that's not the way we want to go. Right. Kant would say that it is not reason that is the highest value, but human being right and contra Hegel rationality is the function of the human being okay value resides in the being, not in the reason, so this is really just another inversion
2: mm-hmm.
0: for Kant and the Western world, value is a component of, of reality
2: right
0: of being itself for Hegel value. Is a result of the process, yeah. The progress, the progress, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about that before. That that reason always ascends. Part of the progress of reason, yeah. For Hegel, then, value is not discovered but created, yeah. And as illustrated by this, the very beginning of Hegelian logic, yeah, is the turning from transcendence to immanence. And that is an inversion, because in the traditional Western world, the eternal world, the reality, and this is even in Plato's philosophy, Uh the eternal world, the changeless world, God, is the foundation on which everything else is built. And Hegel inverts that and says, no, that doesn't even exist. All that exists is this world itself, this world of reason. And -hmm. of course, there are two ways of inverting. The as you said in the Enlightenment, the scientists inverted the the two realms of the supernatural and the natural, right. and made the natural everything. So that was part for whole. Right. And Hegel did the same thing from the opposite direction. Okay. but They're both doing exactly the same thing, and both of them are an inversion mm-hmm. because they're taking the reality of the supernatural on which everything else was based, the fundamental reality,
2: uh-huh. and they're
0: making the sub-reality into the whole.
2: Right.
0: Um, and so it begins with that inversion. And because it is the very nature of the logic of Hegel, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, it continues to invert. Right. That is, it takes the thesis, the state of affairs that we find ourselves in. And it says, this must be challenged Mm -hmm. by the antithesis. And it is through the antithesis that we come to a higher realization. And so it is the inversion of the normal that is fundamental to Hegel's logic. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not surprising that there is an inversion of value here. It starts with inversion. It carries forth through the process of inversion. And therefore, everything that we find that Hegel's logic touches, it inverts.
1: Right, right. So Hegel's logic causes us to stop looking beyond ourselves for what's valuable, right?
0: Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, It forces us to look here,
1: here and and now. And to say, what's right for me here? What's right for me now?
0: Okay, so let's actually back up a little bit here. There's more I wanted to say.
1: Uh-huh. Um, about the Enlightenment. Okay, and I'm rushing you a little bit because I want to squeeze this all into one episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we went really long last time because I was long-winded. Yeah. <laughs> but I really I really do have plans to be much more succinct this time, so okay. I'll try my best.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, so if we're going back to the Enlightenment, we were saying that the Enlightenment had made human reason everything, sort of like a king or a god, right? And in, in doing so, it was like materialistic. Yes,
0: so the Enlightenment scientists Uh studied the the material world, which is what science does. Right. So the idea of materialism is a natural metaphysical position for scientists to take, exactly, because that's what they study. And when you're immersed in the natural world, rationally speaking, it's not surprising that you sort of refuse to allow anything else to take a part in your rationalizations.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um
0: but but looking back for a second at the inversion that we talked about uh-huh. in Milton's Paradise Lost. Yeah. Satan talks about turning heaven into hell when he rebelled against God. Yeah. And then making a heaven of hell. And that's exactly the move that Hegel makes. Okay. That's okay. what he pulls. Yeah. Because Hegel's logic is naturally an inversion. It is the very logic of the position to invert. Right. That's a good Take any example. thesis mm-hmm. that we're given, anything that is a positive statement. And we, we talked last time about women giving life
2: yeah. and
0: how that leading to the pro-choice position. Take any thesis at all, that's a positive statement, and Hegel's logic will say that the way forward, the way to progress, progress, Mm -hmm. is to undermine that thesis. So the logic of Hegel's position is constantly to undermine what is.
2: Right, right.
0: This was Hegel's manner of trying to recapture the primacy of reason Uh after Kant's critique. Okay. So it was sort of like trying to reestablish the Enlightenment's claim Mm -hmm. that reason is everything. That, as you said, reason is king or
1: God. Right. And it was kind of a contradiction because human reason is God, but at the same time, human reason is matter.
0: Right. So the materialists ran into that essential contradiction.
2: Uh And why Um, was that?
0: They wanted to claim that human reason uh-huh. was able to understand the entire universe. Okay. But the only way to actually be able to understand the entire universe is to be God. Yeah. And yet, if human reason is simply a product of material nature, yeah, then... It cannot be God. Yeah. And in fact, it cannot even be trusted as an organ for discovering truth. Yeah. So it undermines itself, just right. as you said.
1: It's kind of like it destroys itself by valuing it the way they did, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Yes.
0: And with Hegel, yeah, the same thing happens because he embraces contradiction. Yeah. And this is the case, no matter if you are a materialist or an idealist in the Hegelian sense.
2: Uh-huh.
0: They are religious while condemning religion.
2: Right. And
0: this is endemic to our age okay. and to Hegelian thinking. Because as we said at the end of last week's discussion, yeah. you can't get rid of transcendence. Right, It's going to haunt you. You're going to worship something. Something right. will be of highest value to you. And yeah. that thing becomes your God right. and becomes your religion. And you can't avoid it. Even if you try to make it all imminent, as Uh Hegel does, it becomes a sort of transcendence in terms of value for you.
1: Right. And you say in the episode, mind is not matter. It's something that aims beyond itself, and it aims for value.
0: Yeah. And this is absolutely vital.
1: Yeah. Value is something transcendent.
0: Right. So the materialist makes mind from matter. Uh Uh-huh. And in the process they undermine reason and human uniqueness. Yeah. Hegel makes matter from mind
2: uh-huh.
0: and undermines human reason and uniqueness.
2: Right. right. <laughs> and
0: and we could we could follow through the logic of how that happens, but it's just it's just the case that in both cases, yeah. materialist and idealist, human reason and human uniqueness are undermined. And those things are foundational to the Western world.
1: Right, right. So Hegelian logic inverts value Yes. because it takes value which is transcendent or beyond ourselves and makes it something imminent.
0: Yes. And, and I would actually even say that we might define reason as essentially the reaching beyond the here uh-huh. and now, the presence, yeah. toward value.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what we were saying about how Hegel causes us to stop looking beyond ourselves for what's valuable.
0: Right. And so yeah. it, right, Hegel undermines that yeah. because everything starts to fall apart because we have, although he himself held on to uh-huh. a central notion of value, his logic will not sustain that
2: right. as you right. move forward. Right, and that's be-
0: go ahead. Be- because the value the centrality of value of reason itself won't be sustained in terms of individual human beings.
1: Right. And that leads us to the next point in the episode where you discuss the death of God. Okay, so before we talk about Hegel and the death of God, let's start by saying there are three ways of thinking of God, right, John? Right. And those are being, value, truth.
0: Right. So in the Western world, the conception of God that we have is essentially... That God is being itself, Mm -hmm. taken right from the Old Testament, I am. Right. That God is truth itself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. And that God is the ultimate value. So those three things all correspond to the three divisions of, interestingly enough, philosophy, Mm -hmm. metaphysics, which studies the nature of being. Right. epistemology, which studies the nature of knowledge or truth, mm-hmm. and axiology, which studies value. Okay. So when we think of God, we think of him as being the supreme realization of all, all three, three of those categories.
1: Right. And when transcendence dies, all three of those die as well, right?
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. As, as long as we can assume that those things are real, that reality itself is real, that it is something outside of us that our minds must correspond to uh-huh. and grasp, that truth is something that we reach for, and that value is something that we discover, not something that we create, then God is God stands outside us and we can reach toward him as human beings that are lesser than God.
1: Yeah. Who, who was but, it? Oh, go ahead.
0: But But when transcendence dies, then... Those things become mere constructs of mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. Who was it who said that? Without God, all things are permissible.
0: Ah, uh, that's Dostoevsky. Remember when we read the Brothers Karamazov? That's right.
2: That's, that's right. right.
1: That's where that came from.
0: So, and that's exactly mm-hmm. the point being made: that if there is no transcendence, then since value becomes merely constructed, then there is no real constraint on human action. Right. No such things as ethics, as right. real, right, and wrong.
1: And you quote Nietzsche at this point in the episode, right? Why don't, why don't you read that quote and break it down for us?
0: Right. So Nietzsche is famous yeah. for the idea that God is dead. Right. And he is often not understood Misquoted. properly. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's worthwhile for us to spend a few moments actually reading the passage from the book called The Gay Science, Uh from which that quote is actually taken. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, he cried, I will tell you, we have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. And there's an important point here Uh that the death of God is not someone proclaiming something. It is a social phenomenon. Right, right. Hegel, by denying transcendence and the social realm by accepting Hegel's logic, has effectively killed God in our culture. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? And there we had that notion of centrality of value, God or transcendence, right. provided that sense of agreement that mm-hmm. all of us could say, look, there is a truth, there is a real sense of value, there is a real right and wrong, and therefore, even if we have a hard time discovering it, at least we can agree that there is such a thing, mm-hmm. and that provides a center for our culture to gather around. Exactly. But but when we kill that, right. it's like untethering the earth from its sun. Mm -hmm. and it travels aimlessly. Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns? That is, can we find ever again a centrality of value that can help us to agree? In fact, even direction starts to fall apart. Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? And here he brings up the prospect of nihilism, right? Uh-huh. Of having no value whatsoever to gather around. Yeah. Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? We don't realize. Yeah. And this is something that I dealt with as
2: as an atheist
0: when I turned to mm-hmm. atheism. Yeah. Right. You think suddenly you're freeing yourself, <laughs> and. What you end up in is a, a sea of chaos right. in which you have no structure in which to really be free within. And that is not freedom. No. It is the death of freedom. Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? And that is an, an interesting point. Mm-hmm. The grave diggers who are burying God. It's an odd notion. right? And yet, that's exactly who we have in our world the materialists, the Hegelian idealists, the atheists, the progressives, the socialists, the academics of our world, the relativists, Mm -hmm. they are burying God. Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? Gods, too, decompose. Right. And we in the West are living on the corpse of God right now. yeah, We're holding on, as Sam Harris does, to all of the hard-won values that the Western world has given us mm-hmm. through the history of living as a Christian world right. and holding on to transcendence, going even back before the Christian days to the Greeks. Yeah, We're beginning to let all of that go, and all of those values that have sustained the Western world we're still holding on to some of them, and yet we are letting them go. Right. And as the corpse mm-hmm. decomposes, right. right. W- what's going to be left? And we mm-hmm. have a comment on that at the end of, of this. Right. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned? the Western world, Mm -hmm. has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? And then a really interesting point. What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? There is no escaping Mm -hmm. the religious impulse. Right, exactly. And we see that all around us. Mm -hmm. The woke movement is as profoundly religious a movement as any in history, except that it's unbalanced. Exactly. Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Mm -hmm. Only religion can replace religion. And Nietzsche, like Cain here, would kill God while standing with certainty Mm -hmm. in his presence. Mm -hmm. And that is the true atheist. Right. Exactly. who can actually know God is there
2: mm-hmm. and
0: wish him dead. Right. This is, by the way, a good transition to where we go next. Yeah. Because this is Marx.
1: Right. This you is, mean into the ugly Hegel.
0: This is, leads us directly into the ugly Hegel mm-hmm. and the what I call the prescriptive Hegelians. Right. Man must be God if God is dead.
1: All right. So, so basically, to sum up what you're saying and, and relating it to the bad Hegel, Hegelian thinking is everyone has different centers, their own stories about themselves, like this is who I am and and you're absolute about who you are, right. So
0: last time we began to discuss about the nature of Hegelian relativism
2: mm-hmm.
0: how the center doesn't hold, right and eventually it sort of separates off into individual centers,
1: right. And it pulls um, us apart.
0: And this pulls us apart mm-hmm. as a culture because there is no central right point, and so what we have are collections of points.
2: Yeah, yeah. that
0: are collective values. Yeah, and we and see that today in our identity politics all over. Right, yeah. we have blacks versus whites versus Hispanics versus yeah. gays versus vest transvest- trans. <laughs> versus what?
1: I there's I, so I, many words now I can't even <laughs> LGBTQURSQ
0: <laughs> like, yeah. No. Uh, yeah plus minus I don't know.
1: <laughs> and you call this Hegelian relativism.
0: Right. So everything falls apart mm-hmm. because we get these individual centers of value. And yeah. we then take those individual centers and as Hegel did, make them absolute values. Right. And then there is no way, because everything is relative, to decide who gets to win right? and which is right Right. and which is wrong other than power.
2: Right.
0: Pure, raw power.
1: Why don't you read that last paragraph from episode 38?
0: Okay. So the very last paragraph Uh of this episode 38, I say this. Perhaps we should recall here Nietzsche's prescient remarks about God's decomposition. It does not happen all at once. Instead, there is a slow but steady degradation, a progressive, and that word is chosen advisedly, Mm -hmm. a progressive decline and disintegration. And a disintegration means we fall apart. Right. We have survived for a long time being sustained on those remains, the superstructures and legacies of Western civilization and Christianity, which are today so loudly decried and resented Mm -hmm. by our intelligentsia. Those who know better, the pundits at CNN, (laughs) the professors of philosophy, and psychology mm-hmm. in our universities, right, right. But when they have completed the burial of the transcendent, in which they are so deeply engaged right now, yeah, what darkness and horrors we will confront, yeah, are only prefigured in the totalitarian nightmares of the twentieth century, right.
2: And right.
0: this is where we're heading,
2: folks. Right. And that is very true.
1: Okay, so so that takes us to the next episode in the series, number 39, where you discuss the relativization of value and the death of ethics.
0: And like every other time, we see the progression of the onion here. Right, we're, right. So we've already covered a lot of those points, and we're just kind of revisiting gonna, them again and mm-hmm, again.
1: Right. Okay, well, so let's start this relativization of value section by, let's remember that We've been emphasizing here that the entire foundation of bad Hegel is the denial of transcendence. That's that's important to remember,
0: right? And it, it is mm-hmm. really the foundation of everything. It's it's the whole point of everything we're doing here. Yeah, and transcend I, the death of transcendence is the death of God. Yeah, it is
1: the inversion of value. I was going to say when you deny transcendence, you invert value. Right. You said something else in this episode about using Plato.
0: Right. So carrying on on that mm-hmm. it, it, with with the undermining of transcendence value itself is no longer objective or absolute mm-hmm. but becomes mere process becomes mere construct and social constructivism is one of the fundamental things we find in postmodern philosophy right and it is everywhere in today's world mm-hmm. it's this idea that everything about our world is A construct of the human mind. Yeah. yeah. It's merely relative in that sense. So we find actually that Plato was confronting a world that was very similar from the sophists, who were extreme relativists. The most important sophist of his time is famous for the words man is the measure of all things, which Mm -hmm. is just another way of talking about relativism. And it's what we're awash in today. And Plato set his entire philosophical program against that relativism. Yeah. And the point of Plato's philosophy was that that which is most real is most valuable.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that therefore, that which is changeless is of absolute value. Mm -hmm. And this is the fundamental insight on which all of the Western culture is built, including Christianity. Because he was prefiguring the value of God Himself in that philosophy. Uh-huh. I am the Lord, I change not.
1: Right, right. So let's bring it all the way down to the
0: earth to your shoes,
2: your favorite shoes. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, so when I was <laughs> when I was teaching Plato at East Stroudsburg University, where I, I spent, I don't know, what was it, about ten years mm-hmm. teaching intro to philosophy, I continually wore my black dress shoes that i had gotten way back in the 1980s which is no surprise with you <laughs> and and i thought they were like in almost perfect shape mm-hmm. they had lasted for some 20 years all through all, all through undergraduate school through graduate school and then through the majority of my teaching career at east stroudsburg university and i would show off these shoes to my students and say the value of these shoes is how they look almost as new today as they did on the day that I bought them. Mm -hmm. That is, the value is in their changelessness. They're continuing to be as good now as they were before. And that is the foundation of the notion of value for Plato.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's very understandable. So, Okay, so this all leads us to the death of ethics. Now, through the inversion of value, because you say that by transforming value from a reality to a goal, we get the ends justify the means, right? which is what we're seeing everywhere today, right?
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we've seen that Hegel's logic is just an ongoing process, Mm -hmm. that value is the result of the process not something that the process aims at, right. right? Because it aims only at itself. That is what imminence is all about. Uh-huh. So process is something that happens along the way. And if that's the case, then we choose what it is that we value, and then we pursue it. Mm-hmm. And ethics then simply becomes whatever means we need to achieve the value we chose uh-huh. is the right path. Right. And therefore, the end always justifies the means, right? In a Hegelian framework,
2: yeah, and I that know. is
0: the primary sense of ethics yeah. that is ruling in our world today, especially yeah. on the left. But again, one of the points of this series is to point out that we, on the right,
2: we Christians,
0: have been deeply and profoundly yeah. affected by this sort of thinking. Right. We have become almost by default. Hegelian thinkers, in that we look at the results of actions in order to determine whether or not the action is right.
1: Mm -hmm, And
0: that is the inversion of ethics. Right, exactly. Because God tells us the right from the wrong, it is out there, and that is what we value. And we know in advance what the right thing to do is. Mm -hmm. And if we choose to do the wrong thing in order to achieve our own ends, then we are not acting ethically.
2: Right.
1: Okay, so you quote from Hegel's philosophy of history at this point in the episode. So why don't you read it, comment along the way so we can understand what he's saying.
0: Yeah, this is actually worth reading because it points to the fact that Hegel himself embraced an ends-justified-the-means
2: uh-huh.
0: ethic. And help us to understand too. Okay, okay. so this is what he says. A world-historical individual, that is, someone who is acting on behalf of spirit, uh-huh. Hegel's reason, is devoted to the one aim regardless of all else. It is even possible that such men may treat other great, even sacred, interests inconsiderably. But so mighty a form must trample down many an innocent flower, crushed to pieces, many an object in its path. This may be called the cunning of reason, that it sets the passions to work for itself, while that which develops its existence through such impulsion pays the penalty and suffers loss.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, so sorry. Yeah. yeah. For it is phenomenal being that is so treated, and of this part is of no value. Part is positive and real. And here's the point. Mm-hmm. The particular is, for the most part, Of too trifling value as compared with the general. Yeah. And you can see Marx and the socialists in this point, willing to sacrifice millions of people to bring about the revolution. Yeah. This is endemic to the philosophy of Hegel Mm -hmm. and to the death of transcendence. Yeah. Individuals, he says, are sacrificed and abandoned. And he's perfectly fine Mm -hmm. with that. Exactly. The idea pays the penalty of determinate existence and of corruptibility, not from itself, but from the passions of individuals. Yeah. So people are completely sacrificable. Yeah. And this is in direct opposition to the ethics of Kant, who says that each human being is of eternal value. value. And... It is directly opposed to the Christian notion that each human being houses the spark of the divine. Is made in the image of God right. Hegel goes on, we might tolerate the idea that individuals, their desires, and the gratification of them are thus sacrificed, and that, as a general rule, individuals come under the category of means to an ulterior mm-hmm. end, and there it is, yep explicitly yep, that's right there the embrace of the ends justify the means ethic. Which pervades our society right. and, I would argue, pervades the church, yeah. pervades the thinking of everyone in the West who has been indoctrinated with Hegelian thinking, right. with right. the Hegelian logic. Right. We need to again return to an ethics of clear right and
1: wrong, yeah. not of, not of grayscale. So that explains the relativization of value, why it matters. Yeah. Yeah. yep. If we
0: have no centers, uh-huh. and we then, therefore, as human beings, end up choosing individual centers, we fragment, we come apart, and the only thing that can resolve our differences is pure power. Yeah, which is what we're which, seeing. Which is what we're seeing, mm-hmm. and which, which is what the postmoderns have discovered about mm-hmm. the world that they've created. Yep, it's like they create this world right. instead of living in the old Western world where truth was something to find,
2: right. where right
0: and wrong were clear. Right. So they muddy the waters, and and then they they play in the mud and say, "Oh, but the only thing that the only thing that matters is power." Right. Because you've created the world in right. which the only thing that matters is power.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: All right. So that leads us to Hegel the Bad, where you introduce the rise of prescriptive Hegelians in this episode. And this is going to actually be the transition into the next episode of Hegel the Ugly.
0: Right. I guess it's worth actually spending a few seconds talking about what I mean Uh by prescriptive Hegelians.
1: Yeah, I think you should do that. That's a good idea.
0: So prescriptive in the sense that they're changing from the conservative Hegel that we talked about back when we talked about the good Hegel. He simply described what had come before. That was his job as a philosopher, he thought. Whereas the prescriptive Hegelians begin to tell us what the world should Should. look like, right? right? And essentially, this follows the logic of thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Mm -hmm. And their way of approaching what the world should be is simply to tear down the world that is. So they look at the thesis and the antithesis and say, look, if we're going to get to this better world, if we're going to get to the synthesis, then what we must do is destroy the thesis. Mm -hmm. We must tear it down. The antithesis is the gateway to the synthesis. And the prescriptive Hegelians, therefore, are constantly engaged in the process of tearing down. Right. Beginning with Marx. Marx's favorite saying from Goethe's Faust was all that exists deserves to perish. And that's exactly what motivates so much on the left today. Yeah. The idea that all of tradition, all of Christianity. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it, that it seems to only be Christianity that is constantly attacked. Mm-hmm. It's like other religions, they want to embrace as long as they're opposed to Christianity, Right. but anything that has carried through in the Western tradition must be torn down, right, right, including right. the family. Mm-hmm. It's an explicit target for right. them. The military, all the things that have upheld Western culture must be brought down mm-hmm. in order to bring about the revolution.
2: Right, exactly. Um, and
0: so this is this is endemic to what I call the prescriptive Hegelians.
1: Yeah, and Hegel's spirit can't maintain ultimate value, right?
0: Right. Exactly. The point is that although Hegel was himself a conservative, mm-hmm. he wanted to hold on to the central value of mm-hmm. things through what he called spirit. Yeah. Spirit itself can't maintain that because people hold on to something as a central value. Right. It's the very nature of human beings to be religious, to find something of ultimate value, to hold on to that, Mm -hmm. to gather around that socially. Right. And this death
1: of ethics leads to identity politics.
0: It leads to identity politics necessarily because… There are different centers, right. and different groups will embrace different values. And, then, and when that happens, you've got no way to decide between them right. if you buy this whole Hegelian dialectic.
1: Right. And then everything falls apart
2: because
0: each
1: identity apart. has its own value. and Right. Yeah. And, um,
0: and each one looks at their value as being supreme. Right. As being absolute in the sense of Hegel's absolute idealism.
1: And then in this episode 39, you use the term retrospective contempt. Can you explain what that means in regards to these post Hegelian like Marx and the Nazis and critical and theorists? This
0: is another thing that is absolutely fundamental mm-hmm. to the Hegelian dialectic. Because we have thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Uh-huh. And the Hegelian left invariably embraces the antithesis because it opposes that which exists. Right. Now the Hegelian right tends to embrace the thesis uh-huh. and so the nazis were hegelian rightists okay they felt that their culture was the highest of all possible cultures and therefore they wanted to preserve that and spread it right right the hegelian leftists which is pretty much the only hegelianism left in our world uh-huh. Want to tear down all of the structures of the West, everything that exists, in order to make room for a new ideal utopian world that they really have no idea what it's going to look like. But the only way to get there is to tear down the existing structures, Mm -hmm. not to repair them, Mm -hmm. not to make them better, not to build on them, to tear them down in order to arrive at the utopian structure. So for them, everything that has come before. Is contemptuous right. and must be overcome. Right, and I call that the retrospective contempt of the left. Right, and it's evident mm-hmm. in everything we do. If, yeah. if you know history well and you study the history of progressivism, of leftism in the twentieth century and immediately before, mm-hmm. it is all built on contempt. For the Western ideals. Yeah. For the that have law, for world.
1: tradition. Yep. Yeah. And you can see it in the abortion debate. You see yep. it in the, the slide into the sexual perversion oh, that we see. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Everything must be torn down. Right. It, it's like embracing fully Marx's favorite quote.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All that exists deserves to perish. Right. And right. it's it's right. Satan's claim. Right. right. As we see in Paradise Lost.
1: hmm Okay, so you do a great job at the end of this episode, summarizing everything up till now. And I'm going to read the seven summary points. Okay. okay? If you want to comment briefly, because we're running out of time. (laughs) So one, emphasis on collective over individual.
0: Yes emphasis on the collective over the individual, because that is what the left constantly does. It says that the individual, as we saw in the quote from Hegel earlier, the individual doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because the individual is just a piece of matter for the materialist or just one small isolated element of spirit for Mm -hmm. the idealists. And of course, in Marx, we combine materialism and idealism he calls himself a dialectical materialist. Mm-hmm. That's what Marx called himself. So he okay. tries to combine both the Enlightenment scientism, yeah. materialism, with the Hegelian idealism, uh-huh. which is an odd combination, yeah. but it is what has swept the West. Right. Yeah. And the idea that it is not the individual that matters. It is only the group, everybody.
1: The second summary point is a progressively radical relativism as spirit loses the center status.
0: Right. So this is just the claim mm-hmm. that we've made already. Mm-hmm. Yep, that we're just as soon as Hegel's spirit becomes recognized that the center cannot hold, mm-hmm. then everything fragments into collective centers.
1: Mm-hmm. And then that's three, a resulting fragmentation of reason into competing factions. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And the only way to decide between them is power.
1: Right. Right. And then four, an embrace of contradiction. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Which is Hegelian logic. Right. The thesis antithesis. Mm -hmm. Right. The only way to move forward is to embrace both positions at the same time.
1: Right. And five, a retrospective contempt for what is and has been.
0: Right. We've talked about that.
1: Yep. And six, a morality of ends justifying means, which you thoroughly discussed. right? And then seven, the death of truth, morality, and Western God. Right.
0: So we lose
2: everything. Yep. Exactly,
0: we're in the process today Uh of burying God, right? And I don't know how we come back from it, aside from some sort of revival.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: because to tear down the leftist infrastructure that has been built and place in our country now for years seems impossible. Right, it's been years in coming. Nothing is impossible.
1: Right. All right, so this ends our discussion of Episodes 37, 38, and 39 of Hegel the Bad.
0: Right, and I think we can all agree that the pernicious outplay of Hegel's ideas, Mm -hmm. if you're agreeing with this analysis, has been absolutely catastrophic for our world.
1: Yep, exactly. And so our next episode is going to both close out this series and close out the year. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to be We deal
0: with the prescriptive Hegelians or the ugly Hegel. Right. Hegel
1: the ugly. Right. We talked about Hegel the good, Hegel the bad, and now next episode, Hegel the ugly. And hopefully that'll just be in one episode. Yep. So that we can close out the year and start a fresh new year with our new ideas. Okay. So my Hegelian observation this time is this the Christian atheist. Is he a Hegelian dialectic or just an oxymoron?
0: (laughs) Or just a moron.
2: (laughs) And be sure
1: to join us next episode. Also, if you're listening on YouTube, take a moment to subscribe. We would really appreciate that. For sure. Yeah. And no matter how you're listening, feel free to leave a comment, any questions, even topic ideas that you have for future episodes as we head into the new year. And lastly, if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee, there's a link in our description to do that. And thanks again for giving us your time and hope you have a great week ahead.
0: I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can have your religious cake, and eat it, too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.